Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Are the banks doing enough to help customers in the fight against fraud? The oil price has been gushing away and Fidelity's Micah Curry joins me to discuss if the black stuff could yet surpass US$100 per barrel. And putting the payday lenders out of business, we hear from the man behind Death Hacker, a new free tool to help consumers win compensation from high-cost lenders. Would the credit markets really be a better place without them? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. Picture the scene. You've just arrived on holiday abroad, the sun is shining, then you get a text message from your bank saying they suspect there's been fraudulent activity on your account. Well, funnily enough, this is exactly what happened to me a fortnight ago when I was on holiday in Italy. Having written lots of articles for FT Money about how bank transfer fraud attempts often start from text messages exactly like these, I was immediately on high alert, and I've come home to news that an industry-wide code is being set up to protect customers like me, but many argue it doesn't go far enough. So joining me on the line to discuss is Gareth Shaw, a money expert at which the consumer group which has been campaigning for years for more to be done in this field. Welcome, Gareth. Hi, Claire. So the banks call it push payment fraud, but tell us exactly what does this mean? Well, a push payment is effectively you um, making a decision to transfer money from your bank account to another bank account. You're, you're effectively pushing it over um, to a different bank or even the same bank, but a, a different account holder. And that's different from, say, a direct debit where you've provided your account details and then on a certain date of the week or month, um, that money is being pulled from your account um, via the direct debit mechanism. So a push payment is you saying, I'm punching in the account details of somebody I want to send money to, and the bank is processing that request because you've made it as quickly as possible, and over that money goes. Now, this type of fraud is costing hundreds of millions um, of pounds a year. It often starts with a text like I received um, claiming that there's been fraudulent activity on your account. Um, because of number phishing, where criminals can mimic numbers, people often think that they are speaking to their bank. They're then asked to transfer the money to another account to make it safe. And crucially, the customer requests the transfer, hence why the banks are saying they shouldn't be on the hook for the losses. That's absolutely right. Yeah, this has been a big gap in consumer protection. When you pay by um, credit card, if you have money uh, fraudulently taken out of your account without authorization, um, if you pay by direct, direct debit, there are all um, legal mechanisms there to um, uh, protect you if, you if you've been a victim of fraud and you will get your money back unless you've been grossly negligent. That's the term that the banks use. Mm. And you've been throwing out your PIN code left, right and centre. But by and large, um, that's where the most amount of fraud occurs. 
um, there was uh, 500 billion um, of fraud in the first six months of 2018, and the vast majority of that was unauthorized fraud, and that's where consumers get their money back. But if they, they've been victim to a really sophisticated, nasty scam, which has resulted in them sending money over to a fraudster, um, the banks hold their hands up and they say, well, you asked us to process this payment, and therefore uh, we've done what you've asked us, and we can't get you your money back. We'll try and work with other banks to retrieve what we can, but fraudsters, you know, uh, as soon as money lands into the account, they're withdrawing it and taking it away, and, and it's, it's very difficult for people to actually um, receive anything back. In fact, out of the £145 million that was lost in the, the first six months of 2018 to this type of fraud, only 30 million was recovered. So four and out of every five pounds that's lost to this type of fraud never gets paid back to the consumer. So this code, what's it promising to change? Well, this is what we were calling for. We wanted both the banks and the regulators to take a look at this as as an emerging type of fraud. You know, the number of people affected by this type of fraud has doubled um, since last year, and it's only getting worse. Um, The code basically says, and, and, and I'll start with the good news for consumers if they're a victim of this. If you've been a victim of this type of fraud and you've done absolutely nothing wrong, you think you were talking to a legitimate firm or you, you, know, you, you were confident that you were sending money to the right place and it, and it shows that the bank could have done more to help you, it didn't provide effective warnings, it didn't do enough to detect suspicious transactions, it wasn't talking to the receiving bank. If it's fallen down on any of its commitments to you, you will get a refund of the money that you've lost. Now, this is a voluntary code and it's not yet in, in place. We'd hope that you know the biggest banks that were working on this will sign up to it and, and start kind of living these values straight away. But uh, it's only a draft at the moment. Um, but there, there, is a, there is a gap in this. Um, and, and it's because um, the way that refunds um, are to be funded can't be agreed. Mm. So if you're a victim of this and you've done nothing wrong and the bank checks everything that it did and it says it does nothing wrong, the code agrees that um, these types of victims um, should be refunded. But what hasn't been agreed is who should pay for that. The banks don't think they, they should. And until that funding has been agreed, that group of consumers um, aren't going to be refunded at all. And that's where we think this code falls down. We think that funding question needs to be urgently resolved. But in the meantime, make sure that consumers are getting refunded until that issue is resolved. Now, finally, if listeners like I did receive a text from their bank or even are asked to, to transfer money because there's been attempted fraud, what should they do? So a bank will never contact you and say uh, that there's been fraud in, on, their, on your account and we've set up a new safe account for you. And that's the really key thing. Yes, they will get in touch with you if they, if they think that they've suspected, they found a suspected fraud. What they won't do is say, we're going to give you the details of a new account for you to transfer your money over to. And that's the crucial thing. They will not be asking you for sensitive financial details uh, and then making a request for you to make a payment or indeed, you know, hand over your debit card to a courier or anything like that. Um, They just won't be making those kinds of requests. And that's where you should be wary. But when it comes to text messages, Claire, you know, as you found, these look very convincing. And and spoofing text messages means it it can fall into that feed of genuine texts that you've had from your bank. So you should treat these now, sadly, with a bit of skepticism, move away from your texts, go and find the number of your bank on on a website, on a separate device. Or on the back of your bank card. On the back of your bank card, indeed, call it uh, and ask them if the text that they sent you is legitimate and what the next steps are.
Well, thank you very much there to Gareth Shaw, money expert at which you could read more about bank fraud in my FT Money column this week. That's in the FT Money section of the weekend newspaper or read it online now at ft.com slash money. And if you've got experiences of push payment fraud that you want to tell us about, get in touch. Our email address is money at ft.com and we'll put details of how to reply to the consultation in the article. In the past seven weeks, the price of Brent crude has risen 18%, now sitting at a four-year high of $85 per barrel, prompting bets that triple-digit prices could be around the corner. And investor interest in the black stuff is unsurprisingly gushing up. So joining me on the line to discuss is Micah Curry, Investment Director at Fidelity, who's written all about oil in FT Money this week. Welcome, Micah. Hi, Claire. So what's behind the recent rises? Well, really, commodity markets are simple beasts, and the main driver of the oil price comes down to supply and demand fundamentals. Now, on the supply side, there's one thought that is dominating the oil market psyche, and that is U.S. plans to impose a second round of sanctions on Iran come this November. Now, that will force governments and companies around the world to stop buying Iranian oil, And the U.S. is also showing a willingness to penalize foreign countries if they do continue to trade with Tehran. Now, there are other concerns, of course. There's the looming U.S. hurricane season, and we've already heard that as Hurricane Michael nears Florida, companies operating in the Gulf of Mexico are evacuating their staff. There's the falling output from a very politically and economically troubled Venezuela and supply disruption in Libya. And, of course, At its last meeting, OPEC made the decision not to increase output. So all of those factors um, weighing on supply. But also on the demand side, there is a worry that high oil prices combined with a stronger dollar, rising interest rates in much of the developed world, and of course trade tensions could weigh on global demand. And those trade tensions and a higher oil price has as heightened concern for the world's emerging markets who are already struggling, but countries like China and India that import oil are now facing a kind of a double whammy. So lots for investors to to think about in terms of the consequences. But do you think that we could get to a triple-digit oil price again? It's only happened a handful of times, after all, in the past 20 years. Yes, yeah, so given all those factors I mentioned, I think there is a very good chance that oil could potentially spike into triple-digit territory, passing the $100 a barrel mark. But I do expect that such an uptick will be very short-lived, not least if OPEC does step up production. Now, this is arguably a good thing because, as the history books show, that once oil passes that $100 mark, it becomes a drag on global growth. It eats into company profits. It hurts consumer spending. And it's bad news for emerging markets who are net importers of oil. And all of that comes at a time when global growth is very fragile. Now, you argue in your FT Money column this week that investors could use oil to lubricate some portfolio diversity, if you like. But it's also possible they could have more exposure to oil than they realise. That's true. So many investors who um, are invested in equity funds will probably have already benefited from the rise in the oil price because, as we know, the oil majors feature in numerous fund portfolios given their size and their proven ability to pay attractive dividends. If you were holding, for example, a global uh, fund or a UK, European, US equity fund, it might be worth checking the top 10 holdings 
to see whether there is a higher weighting towards oil stocks. That's also, if you are interested in playing the, the rising oil price, that could be a very good diversified way of, of getting exposure to the story. And of course, there are many uh, commodity-based ETFs out there. Well, thanks very much there to Micah Curry, Investment Director at Fidelity. You can read her column online now. Is the oil price heading towards triple digits on ft.com slash money? That contains many ideas about how you could play the trend. Finally, the payday lenders hit the headlines earlier this year with the collapse of Wonga, perhaps the best known in the UK. As the FT reported at the time, a major factor in its demise was the soaring number of consumer complaints about high interest loans it had granted and the size of the compensation bill it then had to pay. Later this month, a new website called Debt Hacker is set to launch with the aim of encouraging more payday customers to apply for compensation. And the man behind it, financial campaigner Alan Campbell, says he would be quite happy if it ended up putting more high-cost lenders out of business. He joins me now in the studio. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. So customers of payday lenders can use this debt hacker tool that you've um, been creating to get compensation. But why might they be entitled to money in the first place? They were entitled to recompense where they've been uh, advanced unaffordable lending. There seems to be a conspiracy of silence at the moment about people's rights. People have the right to not be burdened with unaffordable lending and the the obligation is on the lender to make sure that they do the necessary checks in terms of checking income, checking bank statements, checking other commitments that people have got so they're not burdened with unaffordable lending. And where they are burdened with unaffordable lending, they can make a claim first to the lender and then secondly to the financial ombudsman service who will adjudicate that claim. And in terms of the money that they'll get back, um, they may not necessarily receive the money that they've been advanced in the payday loan, but they could receive compensation in the form of the interest that they've had to pay on the loan if they can prove that they can't afford it and any fees that may have been charged, which could actually be more than the loan itself, depending on how long ago they took it out. That's absolutely correct. They're entitled by law to get back all of their interest and all their charges, and that's on historic debt. And so this this is effectively financial asbestosis on the balance sheet of all those lenders because this can go back for years and years and years. And for current debts, they're entitled to avoid the loan if it it is a current uh, debt, but they'll only then have to repay the principal when it becomes uh, affordable to do so. And that may be sometime in the future. So briefly, how would Debt Hacker enable people to access this compensation? Well, well, it's not compensation, it's to access a complaint on a lender, so we should make that distinction. Debt Hack is a simple, easy-to-use online tool whereby the, the person comes along, puts in their, their email address, puts in their, their details, and then we organise and diarise the complaint on their behalf to the lender and then come back to them with uh, dates and times in which the lender should comply with that complaint and then if the complaint is not settled to the borrower's uh, uh, satisfaction, we then organise on behalf of the lender a complaint to the Financial Ombudsman Service. And you're providing this service completely for free? It's a completely free 100%. All of the money goes back to the, the borrower. And so I have to ask, why are you doing it? Because you funded uh, this service personally through your own your own money. I'm funding it through my own money. I mean, I, I have made money in the past and now I want to make a difference. I see a complete conspiracy of silence where, where 8.3 
million people who are burdened with uh, over-indebtedness are not aware that they can simply unburden themselves by putting down the struggle that many of them go through on a month-by-month basis to repay debt which they should never have been advanced. And I have to say, we've reported before that the complaints um, about payday lenders are soaring as awareness of the potential compensation grows. Um, Under the current Ombudsman rules, after the first 25 complaints, payday lenders are charged an administration fee of £550 to process every complaint, even if it's found that they did nothing wrong. Do you think that's really fair? I I think what's unfair is that people, first of all at the moment, don't understand what their rights are. And those are parliament-given rights. Now, in terms of the cost of exercising that right, that's a matter for parliament to decide. Because once you give people the right and they exercise the right, the cost of that is not their concern. They've either got the right or they haven't got the right. And therefore, that's a matter for parliament, financial ombudsman, to to decide what is the cost that's burdened on the lender. And the first thing I, I should actually point out, we're only starting with payday lenders. Remember that there's 200 billion of consumer finance out there and we know that there's 8.3 million people are over-indebted. We will get to other lenders in in due course because this systemic industry failure of the lenders not taking their responsibility seriously, being ignored by, uh, being unpoliced by the FCA... Something has to be done about that, and that's what we intend to do. So Wonga has gone out of business, but surely if more payday lenders or other high-cost lenders exit the UK market for whatever reason, this will remove an important, albeit expensive, means of people to get credit. So where would those people turn instead? I, I think the first thing that, that you, 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 you make your comment there that, that is correct, that uh, high-cost credit is, is a form of credit which people access and the problem is that if they only access it once, it's not unaffordable. But if they're in a cycle of debt where they're increasing the level of debt through high-cost lending, then that becomes unaffordable. All we're doing is we want to make the environment for unaffordable lenders to be more difficult as the borrowers understand their rights. That's what we're seeking to do, enfranchise the borrowers with knowledge so that if they do get into an unaffordable lending pattern they'll recognise it and then they'll make a complaint. Do you also think that it could prompt more consumers to seek advice for their problem debts at an earlier stage in the process? Yeah, well, I, I think our campaign isn't for people who are drowning in debt because there's the debt agencies there that are capable of giving them support. Our campaign is to awaken the people who are struggling and, and the industry actually refers to them as willing strugglers. So the industry knows that, that if you over-indebt someone and, and that person it takes the responsibility of repaying that debt very seriously, they'll struggle month in, month out to repay that, even if that means kids going without meals, families losing houses or mental or physical illness. So the, 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 the industry is preying on that. Well, thank you very much there to Alan Campbell, founder of the Pressure Group Final Notice, which is launching the Debt Hacker Tool which is expected to go online later this month. That's it from The Money Show this week. If you want to get in touch with our team of experts, you can email us, money at ft.com, or talk to us on Twitter. Our handle is at ftmoney. In the meantime, we'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.